Welcome to World Lead Sunday. If this is your first time to experience World Lead Conference with us, I think you're in for the most delightful surprise. And if you've been here many times with us, I think you would agree with me that undoubtedly, our World Lead Conference is one of the most remarkable and fulfilling and meaningful weeks of our entire church year. So those of you who are, are participating, our World Lead participants from the U.S. and around the world, would you stand up so we can recognize you? All right. These men and women are some of our most favorite friends on the planet. And as you get to know them, I think you will agree. And we want to extend to you our warmest welcome. We open our hearts, we open our arms to welcome you to Boca Community Church. We hope you feel right at home with us all week. We want to thank you for your years of service and sacrifice and devotion to High King Jesus. We want to thank you for the example that you set for all of us of how to be faithful to the calling. We pray that this week is one where every single one of you, and we want the same for our people, to experience the love of the Lord Jesus, his deep encouragement, his refreshment, his renewal, as we go about doing what he's called us to do and becoming who he's called us to be. God bless all of you. Amen. And here's the great thing, is that the same God that was there in the Old Testament, the Gospels, and the New Testament is with us, is the same God that's in the United States, Africa, Latin America, Europe, Asia, Australia, did I forget any? And the rest of North America, we have people here from Mexico, so the, and the islands, it's the same God, and it's beautiful. And we're gonna have a great opportunity. If you're in a group, which many of you are, you're gonna meet these people throughout the week. But the thing we're gonna do after church today is out in the lobby, there'll be food and opportunity to stop, and it's probably gonna be raining, so stay in for a while. And you'll be able to, by continent and by area, meet people. So if you're from Norway, there's Norwegians here from World Lead. If you're from Latin America, there's Latin Americans here. If you're from Brazil, subset of Latin America, all over the world, they'll be in their areas because everybody comes to me and goes, where's the person from Brazil? Well, I have no idea where she'll be, but she'll be back there wherever it says that she's supposed to be. So if you would like to meet them, go back and meet them. So what I'd like to do now is pray, and then we're gonna meet a few of them in just a moment. So can we pause and pray? Father, thank you so much for this day and allowing us to be here. Thank you after two and a half years of not being able to have anyone come, that you've allowed us to invite people to come, and they've been able to come, and we thank you that uh, they're here. Thank you for our church and our people, people that are from here in Florida and across the United States, and we have members and friends from around the world as well. I pray, Father, that we would truly understand who you are today as we experience what you have done in various parts of the world, how exciting that is, and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. So, oh, wow. Three people have appeared. So, Stephen, Heather, and Eugene. You may know Stephen because we'll start with you, Stephen, because Stephen was here a couple of months ago. He's been able to travel kind of towards the tail end of COVID, and he's from Zimbabwe and works all throughout uh, Africa and shared with us an opportunity that his team has in the public school system of uh, Southern Africa, specifically in Zimbabwe. Tell us how that's going, Stephen. I believe the Lord is doing amazing things uh, in the little country of Zimbabwe. And um, just in November, um, God allowed us to gather five new provinces with about 6.5 schools and with a potential to reach to about 4 million kids with the gospel of Christ. Yeah. So the Lord has been amazing. Yeah, isn't that amazing? And he's also opening other countries in that area, isn't he? We have seven more countries that are on our radar. And uh, just uh, to share uh, what God has been doing, um, just the beginning of November, we had our celebration in Kenya, which is one of the countries on the radar. And um, one of the leaders that came, who is leading uh, 4,000 schools in the public-private schools, said we want a one in those 4,000 schools. But also, as that is not enough, we have already started some programs of Awana in over 70 schools already in Kenya, and, and some of them are public schools. So it's an amazing opportunity that we are experiencing that uh, for the next few years, we are looking at reaching to a number of young boys and girls with the gospel of Christ, and to me, this is a game changer. It absolutely is. So tell us, for those who don't know, what do you do in an Awana club or an Awana setting in a school? What happens? One of the amazing things that is taking place is we, when we started the Awana program in schools, we thought it was going to be just a voluntary students coming at an after-school program, but when the headmaster, the headmaster started experiencing the, the change that was taking place in the children and the, seeing how things were moving and the commitment the kids were having. And the, they, they said, we want every child in the school to be reached with the gospel of Christ. So starting with the assembly, now we have a person, a champion, who presented the gospel message to every child to hear the word of God. And also, a number of our clubs that are running uh, during the week, God is doing an amazing thing. And uh, I was just sharing uh, with some people that uh, one of the teachers that came to our training, after the training, was in tears. And she said, I was contemplating committing suicide. But because of the gospel message that I had in this training, I've committed my life to Christ, and yeah. I want my school to change. And now, in her school, every child in that school is now coming to the Awana program. So it's an amazing change that is taking Amen. place in the Amen. Thank you, Stephen. 
And just to know, Zimbabwe, you may not remember the country, but it's the lowest in the alphabet, the last country in the world, Zimbabwe. But can I tell you, it's up front on top of God's, right? Every time I go, he says, you know, you get the Holy Spirit visiting you in the United States. He lives in Zimbabwe. So that's not true, but he does, partly. Well, so we do a, um, an initiative called Starfish Treasure that you all participate in at Christmas time and other times of the year. And a part of it is to help schools. So we have a check here for you from this congregation. We've already given to your initiative back six months ago, but we have another $10,300 to give towards that initiative that you all donated over Christmas time. So Stephen, thank you. Thank you. God bless you. And Thank you. And now Heather. Heather's one of our newer uh, members of World Leads. So Heather, tell us about what you do and things like that. Yes. So I have been very blessed to be a part of World Lead since 2018. And I started feeling the Lord calling me to, to branch off from the ministry. I've been working in South Africa for 19 years but branch off and focus on developing young emerging leaders. So our mission of Hope of Africa is to disciple the next generation of Christ-centered leaders that will transform their communities. So in the African content, just to give you a little bit of uh, stats, there's almost a billion peop people, youth, under the age of 35. And in 2030, they're predicting the African continent, continent will surpass Asian continent in the, the youth, uh, the population of youth. So the median age in Africa is 19.7 years old. And so our, our mandate is to take young people between 15 and 35 and mentor them in three pillars. One is leadership development, where they identify their calling and their purpose leading themselves, very much sounds like really? world lead, and leading their household, meaning the students that we select are, are stabilizing, they're the caretakers for a, a bigger household. And they don't have work, they don't have capital to get started, so we really invest in helping them find their calling. And then the second pillar is community transformation. So we give them skills that they can utilize in a network of local churches and schools and drop-in centers that come to us and say, we want to do children's ministry. So Juana is a partner, very close partner. Uh, stop human trafficking, farming. And they get a taste of different kinds of ministry and identify where God wants them to be and help launch uh, local ministries in their communities. And then the third pillar is uh, business sustainability. So every uh, youth that we're working with is dealing with unemployment. And in Africa, you have 11 million new young people entering the workforce and only 3.7 million formal jobs offered. So about 70% unemployment. So we believe bridging discipleship with voca vocational skills training is the necessary tool to empower them to stabilize their households but because of the youngest workforce in the world, they're being mobilized by thousands into the Middle East, into Europe, into North America even. So we believe in helping them know how to share the gospel as they are sent out just to find work 
the next revival is going to come through these young people. And so we, we believe in God uh, wow. for a big vision. So. Thank you. Thank you, Heather. Isn't that great? Wow. And we have a check for you as well. And thank you. And appreciate the work that you do throughout South Africa and even in Eastern Africa as well. Thank you so much. So thank you. We've been talking Africa here. We're going to move up to Eastern Europe. This is Eugen, who's been a partner with us from the very beginning of World Lead and his team in Moldova, the little country that's squeezed between Romania and Ukraine. And so we've done a lot of work with them. So Eugen, it's good to have you back and Amanda with us as well. But tell us what's going on in your part of the world and bring us up to date. Yeah. Um, as Bill already said, uh, Moldova's just next to uh, Ukraine and uh, it's part of, or it's a former uh, Soviet Union uh, country as well, just as Ukraine. So of course, when all the war started almost a year ago, uh, the fear was out there in Moldova as well, that actually uh, with the intentions of recreating Soviet Union actually, Moldova will go there. Actually, this fear is still, it's still there. Um, but anyway, I mean, when the war started, uh, our team just went to the, uh, to the border where thousands of Ukrainians were coming uh, just for us to, to meet them and uh, to greet them and to help them and uh, put them in our houses, feed them and so on. So uh, I'd like just to share shortly of what God is doing. We're saying what we were doing, but no, 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 it's actually what God is doing. So a, a refugee woman uh, had a dream, and in that dream she saw a house. So um, when she was uh, running away from the war and she got to one of our OEM building, she saw the house and she said, this is the house that I saw in, in, in a dream. And, and it's just amazing. And what we're doing, we're just serving these refugees. And it's great to see God in, in all of this, first of all. And one of the refugees said, you know, these people that are serving us, she met our team. They do three things. They serve us. They smell. Uh, they... they um, <laughs> <laughs> Not smell. They smile, I want to say. <laughs> uh, they smell of, of cooking food as well. <laughs> Love, sm smile. And then they talk to us and they share about Jesus. Okay, so forget about the smelling part. But they, they serve, they smile, and they talk about Jesus. And it has been great, actually, to be able to do that, to receive a team from here as well. Thank you for sending them and for being so courageous, actually, to serve alongside, serving the refugees, and as I said, just sharing the gospel to, to these Amen. people. Amen. Isn't that great? So over the last year, you all have raised $123,000 for the initiative to help the borders with our missionaries both with Operation Mobilization and Eugen's team, and also with Awana and their teams that are in Poland and other places, the other border countries as well. So Eugen, thank you. I know you're tired, and I hope you get some rest this week because the work has never stopped. Thank you. We have another check for you as well to kind of take you to the next stage. And uh, we would love for you to pray. And as you think and pray for Ukraine, also think of the workers that are working with them as these people are exiting and those who are in the country. They're sending people into the country kind of unofficially to help as well. And our other partners are doing it. We don't talk a lot about that because 
just not appropriate to do that, but they are doing incredible work. So also, thank you, Heather, and thank you, Stephen. What a blessing it is. You guys are great. Thank you. So one last person I want you to meet is the very newest member of World Lead, just started this year. It's Eugene from Ghana. It's Eugene, it's good to have you with us. And we had been working with Pioneers, if you're familiar with Faith Wilson, she works with Pioneers in Indonesia, so we're familiar with the Pioneers organization and through John Lucas and Cameron, got to meet and Eugene came to see us this year, just sat out here and we met with him afterwards. Then we sent a team to Ghana in August to spend time with them and had an incredible time. Elizabeth and I were not able to go at that trip, but God willing, another time. So welcome, Eugene, and greet our people. Thank you, uh, Pastor Bill. And we really missed you last August. <laughs> it was um, our, our desire that you have come, but I think it's fine. <laughs> the, 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 team, the team you sent did great. Um, greetings from Accra, Ghana. Um, I told my wife um, early this morning that I will be in church and I've been invited to bring a greeting and she said to send you her special greetings as well. So yes, greetings from my lovely wife. Um, I was born and raised in Ghana and I came to faith at the age of 10 uh, when I was in fifth grade. Um, I got in that, at that age um, a missionary call. I don't understand, so don't ask me how. But I remember um, talking with a, a, a friend, you know, we're the same age, and we said, when we grow up, we're going to get khaki trousers, and we go into the hinterlands, the rural areas of, of Ghana then, and spread the gospel. That, that, that was at that age. Um, it followed me through my life, and right after college, um, I got involved with Pioneers Africa, um, and did some kind of voluntary service with Pioneers Africa. But whilst I was doing that voluntary service, somebody closed the door behind me and threw the key away. So since then, I've been stuck with Pioneers. And today, I continue to serve with Pioneers. Um, my first point of service with Pioneers was in Guinea, where I met my wife, Jenabu. Um, so Jenabu and I, we have three children, um, Deborah, Elom, and Elinam, 18, 13, and 7. Um, we live in Accra now. We moved from Guinea to Accra uh, from the field, and now we serve in the Pioneers Africa office, helping to mobilize, train, recruit, uh, recruit, train, and send missionaries to some of the most difficult places in Africa, um, among Muslims, um, in villages that are hard to reach and abandoned by the states, um, where the gospel has not reached. I have had a personal experience of going into communities where they have never heard about Jesus, um, have no idea what the gospel is, but they know Coca-Cola. Um, <laughs> and so that's what we're doing. Today we have sent out 150 missionaries um, in 15 countries in Africa right now. Amen. Amen. So if you're not familiar, if you think of Africa, it's a T. And above the T is the Middle East, the uh, Arabic speaking and predominantly Muslim. Below the T was the former French colonies. 
and were somewhat Christianized and some British, and then down below was all the British colonies as well. He is in the tough part, the part where the Muslims are coming down, and it's just a really tough area where Boko Haram and some of those other groups that we don't know the names of that are doing some amazingly horrendous things, and yet there are Christians and people working. Tell us what you do, what those 150 people do, what's kind of your, your mission within the mission agency. Thank you. Um, the goal is to plant churches among communities um, because we believe that a church is the best place for a believer to be discipled. And so we target uh, church planting. But it goes through evangelism and discipleship and the church planting and leadership formation. And then, you know, we have communities of believers um, gathering and fellowshipping together. One of the key challenges that we have is what kind of missionaries are we sending out there? Because for a lot of the people they are going to, they will be the first ever contact they will have with the gospel and the person of Jesus. And so if we send the wrong people, we, we set off these unrich people on the wrong course right from the start. And um, so that's what we're doing. And so it's very important for us that we, we screen well the missionaries we are sending out um, that they are well-equipped um, both in leadership skills and personal um, character, and, and that they, have, they are also well-founded in their faith and, and their belief in Jesus. And, and so this is what we're doing, um, sending out to go into those places, reach out with innovative skills, creative skills. There's no one way to doing it, but to share the gospel every way they can and get communities of believers together. We use sports ministry, we use um, children ministry, um, we use education, we use health, uh, we use short-termers who come out to the communities um, every way that we can reach. It's, it needs to be very creative because a lot of the communities are also very Islamized and they are very resistant to the mm -hmm. gospel for some reason. And so there's need for creativity in doing that. And then there is a need for resilience because those are some of the difficult places that you can find yourself. Um, vehicles break down going. I remember in my own experience, there was a community we were going to. Um, I was going with a group of young people. One of them had a bicycle. I mean, somehow we're walking. Um, but we got to a place that he had to carry his bicycle because there was no way that the bicycle could go through the terrain. You know, so I, so I told him that the bicycle is riding you. In another place, um, we had to take off our footwears because it was so muddy, um, knee-level mud. So if you wore your slippers or sandals, you put your leg in and your foot will come up without your footwear. So you take out the footwear and carry it and walk through, wash your feet, or wash your legs, and then, you know, we go on. So those are some of the places we've been to. Amen. Isn't that great? People we support. And so when, when the team was there, they did two world lead sessions. We did one in English and then one in French because a lot of French speakers. And just to share what we do when we go out, we want to work in three areas, similar, very similar to what Heather was talking about. First of all, we want to make sure their spiritual lives are attuned and they're moving and they're growing. Just because someone's a missionary or a Christian worker of high capacity volunteer, we assume their spiritual life is great. That's a bad assumption to make and so we work in that area. We work with life skills and then we also work in the area of um, 
leadership training and leader training, and so that's what we do as well, and we're so glad you're here. As we transition into the Word, would you pray for us? We pray for you, and we've prayed for you, but would you pray for us today? Amen. Lord, we want to say thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, that we are so privileged um, to have him, even in our ease, reaching out to us and blessing us with salvation. We want to pray, Lord, that you will touch our hearts um, for the sake of those who have not had opportunity to know you and to engage with you. That, Lord, um, whatever you have for us to participate in your ministry of reconciliation, would you stir our hearts that we would respond, yes, Lord. We pray, Father, for your blessing upon your people in the places that they are hurting and itching and stressing, that your peace that surpasses all understanding will guide our hearts and our minds mm -hmm. in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. God bless you. Thank you. So this is the beginning of World Lead, but we're still going to open the Word today in Mark chapter 3. I think it's important to stay attuned into the Bible as well as we also talk about ministry. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 3. There are five stories in Mark 3, but since we heard some great stories here, I'm not going to go through all five stories. We might do two or three of those stories in Mark chapter 3. But the question that arises in all of Mark and really in this chapter of Mark is the question, who is Jesus? Ultimately, who is Jesus? You know, you, you might be able to answer it a certain way and you guys answer it a certain way and out there they answer it a certain way, but it wasn't quite clear in Mark chapter three who Jesus was. We're gonna find out, but ultimately, Every one of us has to make a decision as to who Jesus is. C.S. Lewis said it really well back two generations ago. He said, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Christ. And they say these words, I'm ready to accept Christ, Jesus, as a great moral teacher but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or else he would be the devil of hell himself. You must make the choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him, you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and Savior. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Either he is Lord he is a liar or he is a lunatic. And you've got to choose which one. But he is not a great moral teacher. Oh, he did moral things. But please understand, and today in chapter three, we move 
in the story of Jesus from being kind of the moral teacher to having to make decisions about him. And there's five groups, or there's five stories in chapter three. The fifth story is the same people, but they shifted conversations. The first story in chapter three, um, I'm gonna start in verse seven. There's actually six stories. We can't do all the stories in Mark, or we'll never get through it. But in verse seven, it's a story about um, the people just crowding in because they want Jesus to be a healer. Jesus is a healer. They go to the sea, there's the huge crowds, and they want a healer. We see this all throughout Mark, and I'm not gonna talk about it today because I've talked about it the last couple of weeks. I wanna go to the second vignette, which starts in verse 13, and this is huge. This is a story where Jesus goes up in the mountains to be with the disciples because they wanted a leader. Let's read in verse 13 of chapter three. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him and he appointed 12 whom he also called apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast over demons. He appointed the 12, Simon, who's also known as Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, to whom he also gave the name Borgenes, that means son of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and of course, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, I want you to go back to verse 14. Why did Jesus have disciples, the apostles? Why did Jesus have the 12 disciples? There's two reasons. Among, I'm sure there's a lot of minor reasons, but two, and it's right here in verse 14. So they might be with him, number one, to be Jesus's companions and testify to the reality of what happened. They are first-hand understanders, the eyewitnesses to what has happened. And then the verse says here and goes on, and that he might send them out to preach. Now he sent them out to preach while he was alive, and we'll look at that later on in Mark and certainly in the other gospels, but he also sent them out at the end, after the resurrection, to share the good news with the world. So the disciples' purpose, the apostles' purpose was twofold. Number one, to be his companions, to be with him, to understand who he was, to be, if I could use the word in the definition, to be discipled, to learn from him. The Bible says, as Christ is, so should we. Paul, the apostle said, as I am following Christ, you should follow me. We should be following Christ. So he brought these 12 together to follow Christ, but it wasn't enough to follow Christ. He also had them learn so that they could be sent out and preached. Now, that's a part of the story that's going to come later. But it's interesting. I don't get into the Greek a lot because I don't think it's important right here nowadays. But the Greek word for church is the word ekklesia. Ek, E-K. That is in English, exit. It's going out. See, we think the church is coming in. 
Oh, I went to church today. When you went to church today, you came into a building in the United States, some places you go under a tree, you go under a tent, whatever it is, you go into some place to go to church. Jesus is saying, you go to church when you go out. When you go out, you're going to church. The church is the sent out ones. We are the ones that are the ek exit. So we learn here, we become discipled here. We know what Jesus wants to do and say and we sing about him and we worship. So that part two, we always only talk about part one, which is part one is to learn about Jesus, to love Jesus, to fellowship with other Jesus lovers, which is what we do. And we do that very well here. And these partners do it very well. But we're also to be sent out. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and the scripture, Mark, that we're talking about is a book about understanding how we can be a disciple. It's not just about learning about Jesus, as we said last week. It's also learning about how to be a disciple of Jesus. So if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you learn about Jesus, and then you go out and tell others about Jesus. So what Eugene was just saying, where he has 150 people going out and telling other people about Jesus, Eugene, that's great, but we've got 1,000 people in this room, and we should have 1,000 people going out and telling people about Jesus. That's what this is about. They get paid to do it. Elizabeth and I get paid to do it. You don't get paid to do it, but you're called to do it. What we're called to do is to help you do what you're called to do. You see, when I go and share Christ, you're not paying me to share Christ. You're paying me to help you learn how to share Christ. Please understand that. When Elizabeth and I invite people over and have dinner with them and share Christ with them and go out to them, I'm not doing it because I'm a pastor who's paid by you guys. I, I'm sorry, I don't do it because I'm paid. What I am paid to do is to help you learn how to share Christ. Because Elizabeth and I are sharing Christ, not because we're pastors and good people and work here at the church, but, and not because we're missionaries like you guys and ladies. We're doing it because we're called out to do it. Because we're disciples of Jesus. But my friend, you're a disciple of Jesus too. So you have been called out to it. Now you're not one of the original 12, I'm not one of the original 12. And there's a few, you know, not all 12 made it, by the way. And you'll go, hey, there's hypocrites in the church. Yes, there are. There's hypocrites among the apostles, for goodness sakes, right? There's one who fully denied and then came back, Peter, that's hypocritical. There's others who walked away for a while, like Thomas and doubted, that's hypocritical, but came back. And then there's one that just abandoned the faith totally, maybe never even had the faith probably, which is Judas. So you know what? There's all kinds of people in the church, so we shouldn't be looking at each other going, are you, are you Matthew? Are you Mary? Are you Judas? No, we need to be going out there and sharing Jesus. So that's what we are called to do. So we work with our partners at World Lead because they're doing it all over the world. It is just incredible. And it's those of you who have them in your home, don't you know that? You've met these people and you go, it's unbelievable what they do. I mean, it's truly unbelievable. But it's also unbelievable when you share Christ, not in Zimbabwe school, but in Boca schools. And not in um, Uganda's workforce, but in Boca's workforce. 
and not in Ghana's location, but in Palm Beach County's location or Broward County. That's what we're talking about, that we are called. And so we share the gospel with each other. Remember, there's two, two words for gospel. Gospel is the actual story of the death, burial, and resurrection. And then the gospel is also the written account of all of Jesus's life. We're sharing the written account of all of Jesus's life so that we can understand the specific story of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we can share it with other people. And here's the thing. He was eight years old when he, he understood it. Do you think he understood it? Not a chance. All he understood is there was a God who loved him and Jesus was his savior. And out of that, he said, I felt called to share it with other kids. Now he's an adult and he knows what he's doing and all the rest, but you know what? I bet you shared it with other kids and they came to Christ, other eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds. You don't have to be a pro at this. You just go do it. And you know what? Make a mistake and have somebody laugh at you. But then when their mother dies, they're going to be calling you. And when their child's on drugs, they're going to be calling you because they know at least you are a person of faith. They may not understand your faith. They may not know this Jesus person, but they know you are a person that's connected with the Almighty God. So they're gonna laugh for a while, they're gonna mock you for a while, they're gonna ignore you for a while, but at some point in time, I've had it. I had a guy, a buddy of mine, he in college, and then we worked together for years, and he said, just stop telling me about Jesus. I don't wanna hear it. And so I just, you know, so I, when we went out to lunch, I said, can we at least pray for lunch? He goes, yes. So, you know, I'm giving him the whole thing in my prayer. <laughs> you gotta do it sometime. I said this, you can always call me. That's all I ever said, you can always call me. One night at two in the morning, I got a call from him. That guy was almost dead. Drank too much, drove, the whole thing, you know the stories. And who did he call? He didn't call his father and mother. They would have killed him. He called me. Why? Because he knew I was connected with someone greater than myself. He had more money than me, a nicer car than me. He was smarter than me, but I was connected to Jesus. My friends, he would have never known to call me and to come to Christ if I had never shared it with him and got rejected by him. So the rejection, all that means to me is later, later. That's all that means is later. You know what? You obviously aren't salespeople. I was a salesperson for 25 years. We loved rejection because we knew we were closer to a sale. <laughs> I want to be rejected because I know the next time they're not going to reject me. That, you know what? They're going to reject you, but be a disciple. Let's keep going. There's a great uh, story here. We're going to have to skip around here. Where are we? Wow. Let's go to verse 20. This is a part that's a little hard to understand. This is about Jesus' mother and brothers. Okay, this gets a little personal. It says in verse 20, then he went home. Now understand, 
Jesus is a traveling, itinerant preacher. He's in and around the Sea of Galilee. Nazareth, where his home home is, is about six, eight miles away, six or eight miles away, up the hill. He didn't go home every night. He went to Peter's mother-in-law's home, and that little area was there. She probably had a couple little huts and things around it. That was their home, and that's where they operated from. So when he went home, he was right there in Capernaum, right off the Sea of Galilee. He was doing all his ministries. So it's not his home in Nazareth. It's his home in Galilee. And he went there, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. He couldn't get away from the people. You know, the nice thing around here is we got all these gates. You can go home and, you know, or you lock your door. You know, a lot of homes didn't have doors back then and certainly didn't have locks. So people, you know, neighbors would just come in and all of a sudden it's just so crowded. And when his family heard it, now what did they hear? It wasn't that he didn't have enough room to eat. What the herd it was is that they heard about all that was going on. He's healing everybody. He's taking the demons out of people's bodies. He's preaching. He's saying things in the synagogue that are so unbelievably like way up here. And you know what they come and do? Can I, can I say that? If you're from Florida, you'll know what this means. If you're not from Florida, you won't know. They came to Baker Act him. Now, Baker Act, Baker was the name of a guy or a lady, I don't even know who. Baker Act means if someone has gone crazy in your family and you are a blood relative, you can put them in a mental hospital for 72 hours. You can Baker Act them. Then if it's not true or he's fine or she's fine, they get out, whatever else. You can Baker Act somebody. Police can Baker Act, you can Baker Act. I've Baker Acted somebody once years ago you can Baker Act them. They came to Baker Act him. Now, they don't have Baker Acts in other states, so you don't know what that is. But they can, l- listen to what it said. And when his family heard it, they went to seize him. To seize him. What does seize him mean? Grab his arms. He had brothers who were younger than him because he was the firstborn, so they're strong, right? He's 30, they're probably in their early 20s. They're strong to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. That's what you do when you Baker Act somebody. This person is out of their mind, I'm gonna Baker Act them. They wanted to Baker Act this guy, Mary. So I just wanna go sideways for a minute. If you think Mary never sinned, there was a time that she did. Okay, Mary was not perfect. I think she's one of the best women who ever lived in the world, but everybody said she, you know, there's some people said she never sinned. She called Jesus, the savior of the world, a crazy man. Call it what you want. He is out of his mind. And so here's what happens. The story continues. We'll come back to 22 in a minute. The rest of the story is at verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent into him, because they couldn't even get in to seize him. So they thought, let's get him outside, and then we'll seize him, throw him on a donkey, and get him back to Nazareth, get him calmed down, and get back to normalcy. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, 
who are my mother and who are my brothers? And looking about all these people sitting around him, he said, here, you are my mother and you are my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Now, so many people misinterpret this. I mean, it's like everywhere. And that is, Jesus doesn't care about families. Jesus abandoned his mother. Jesus abandoned his brothers. Jesus abandoned, if he had sisters, I'm sure he did, abandoned his sisters and basically said, family is not important anymore. Please do not understand the scripture, this scripture that way. I'll tell you in a moment. All he was saying is, if somebody's coming to Baker Act me, they are not my mom and my brothers. That's what he's saying. You who are following me, you're my family. Now here's the thing, why do I say that? Because at the cross, remember the cross, the gospel, the death of Jesus? Okay, Jesus is up on the cross, redeeming the world, redeeming the world. Not every single person, but those who believe, right? Here's Jesus on a cross, it's excruciating, Cross means excruciating, it's an excru- uh, so it's the worst pain that they could inflict back in the olden days, that. He's up there, he stops, and I'm being a little facetious here, he stops the redemptive process for a moment and looks down at his mother and looks down at John the apostle, one of the 12 I just mentioned, and he said, man, this is your mother. He stops what he was doing. Couldn't get off the cross. He was there to save for the sins of the world. But he took a moment for his mother. He loved family. Do not ever think Jesus didn't love family. Several of the books of the New Testament are written by those brothers who early denied him but eventually came to know. See, here's the point. Some people are late adopters, right? The first shall be last, the last shall be first. The great parable about late adopters. It doesn't matter to me when you adopt that you love Jesus, it's just that you do. Some go, I wish I was eight years old, like Eugene. I was uh, 12 or 13 when I came to Christ. I wish I was 12 or 13. I came to Christ at 40. You're a late adopter. Who cares? God loves you. There's people in this room that came to Christ at 75 and 80. You're a late adopter. Would it have been better at eight instead of 80? Probably, but you made it. God loves you. You love God through Jesus. Go with it. Mary and his brothers were late adopters, but they did believe, and Jesus took care of his mother. Please understand that this is not about family, that he doesn't like the family. You got to be just the family of God. But here's the point. The family of God is a family. The church is a family. It is a place to come together. Not that you deny your old family. He was just denying them because they wanted to Baker Act them. If your family is telling you something that's false, go with what God says first. But you don't have to deny your family at all times. I hope that makes sense. It's kind of people just love to go, Jesus didn't like family. Going, that's not what this was about. Now, let's look at the, the last group he was with. And they have two parts to this. We're only going to look at the second part. It's the scribes. It's the Pharisees. What's interesting is 
They come from all over the place. People are coming to see Jesus from uh, Judea, from Samaria, from Idumea. We learned this earlier in the chapter. It's way down in the desert from Tyre and Sidon. We have people from Lebanon here from Tyre and Sidon. They're all coming down to see Jesus. But there were the scribes. These were the people that kind of hated Jesus. And they were trying to go after Jesus. They, they said he was like Satan. That's in verse 22 to 27. Let's go over to, um, sorry, where am I? 28. Thank you. To verse 28. This is the second part of his conversation. I want to deal with this as we finish. Truly I say to you, so he's saying this to all the people that are listening, all your sins will be forgiven and whatever blasphemies you utter. What he's saying is there's nothing you can do that God won't forgive. Can I repeat that? There's nothing you can do that God won't forgive. People come to me and go, you know, I've done something God will never forgive me. I'm going, well, then you're calling Jesus a liar because all is forgiven if you believe in him and you ask for that forgiveness. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Wow, that seems like a total contradiction, doesn't it? All is forgiven except the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which will not be forgiven and leads to eternal sin. And everybody that I talk to about this, they go, have I committed the eternal sin? Blasphemy of the Spirit. Can I just say you haven't? You haven't. I think Satan has. I think maybe some people have. But the sins you commit are forgivable. Please understand that. We go to the unforgivable sin, or use a big word, the unpardonable sin, and we forget that God died on the cross through his son Jesus to forgive us our sins. Do you believe that? Because if you don't, believe that Christ forgives us, then you carry the weight of your sin. Have you ever seen somebody who carries the weight of their own sin? Oh, yes, you have. They carry the weight of something they did as a child, as a young person, something they did to their husband or their wife, something they did to their parents, something they didn't do that they should have done, and they carry that weight. I wish I did something 10 years ago differently, and they carry that weight. God wants to take that weight off of you. Now our time is fastly ending because we had these great testimonies, thank you. Can I just share a story of forgiveness? We gotta get, this, this story in chapter three is really about forgiveness. It's a lot of vignettes, a lot of things. And it's a story about a person who, uh, if you know me well, you know I love this person. I only met her once. She died when I was a child. So she's like two and a half generations older than me. She was in her 80s when I was in my early teens. And she was a friend of my great aunt. And so got to meet her a couple times. She was here at this church, spoke. Her name is Corey Ten Boom. I, some of you know her, some of you don't. So I'm going to read this one story of her, and I'll probably cry through it. But it's a story of forgiveness. She wrote a book called Hiding Place, too, if you've not read it. 
years ago came out. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat. A brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room, which I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door of the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with a message that God forgives. It was the truth that needed most to hear, they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture, maybe because the ocean is never far from a Hollander's mind. I'd like to think that that's where sins that have been forgiven are thrown. When we, forget, when we confess our sins, I said, God cast them out into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence collected their coats, in silence left the room. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform, a visored cap with a skull and crossbones on it. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the room, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews at our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at the Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me with his hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that as you say, our sins are at the bottom of the sea. What would you have done? And I, who had spoken so glibly about forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take his hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? but I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he said. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did but I'd like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, again he put his hand out, will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sin had every day been forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew it. 
The message that God forgives had a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. The Bible says, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it only as a commandment of God, but as a daily exercise as well. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. Boy, we've seen that. It was as simple and horrible as that. And I still stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Can I repeat that? Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into my joined hands, into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands. The former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And having thus learned to forgive in this hardest of situations, I never again had difficulty in forgiving. I wish I could say it. I wish I could say that that merciful and charitable thoughts always naturally flowed out for me, but they didn't. If there's one thing I've learned at 80 years of age, it's that I can store up good feelings and behavior, but I can only draw from them fresh from God every day. My friends, None of us have a story that intense, but all of us have a story that we need forgiveness. You and I need forgiveness from the Almighty God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Every single one of us, all of you listening on the live stream, we need forgiveness. But maybe there's someone also that you need to forgive. And maybe you need to go and ask forgiveness of someone. Maybe you need to stretch your hand across the telephone, across the Zoom, across the bed, across whatever, and ask somebody to forgive you. Let's pray.